Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Today, as we open God's word, uh, we're gonna do something a little differently in our time together today. If you've been to Crosslink before, you know that normally about this time, I'm saying and I'm asking you to open your Bible to a specific passage of scripture. And then once you turn there, we'll kind of go from verse one all the way to the end, whatever that text is for the day. But today we're gonna do something a little different. And that is, in our time together, we're gonna study intently the life of a man by the name of Simon Peter. And throughout the message, we're gonna take four different snapshots of his life and we're gonna see how God was working and moving in his life to teach us about something very, very, very important today. And so if you've got your Bibles, every time we get to one of those points, you can turn in it there in your Bible or of course on your smartphone or the words will be here on the screen in front of you. I, like you, am thankful that 2020 is behind us. I, like you, am thankful that we have now a new year that God has presented us with in 2021. And while we've been thankful to have that opportunity, please understand that does not mean with the changing of a new year that everything else will change automatically. No doubt as we end a year and go into a new year, there are things about our life and things about maybe our actions, things about our behavior, things about our circumstance or situation that we want to change, but those changes are not automatic. In order for you and I to experience maybe a new perspective or to grow in relationships or to experience those new things in our lives, we kind of have to assess where we are. And in some areas of our life, we have to begin again. In fact, you might be surprised to know that the victorious Christian life is the person who understands that life is characterized by a series of beginning agains. A few months ago, I was walking through the store and as I walked through a store here in the area, I saw a book that caught my attention. The title of the book was The Ten Commandments of Marriage. It was written by Ed Young Sr. And frankly, it was a simple book. It wasn't very expensive. And I figured, you know, this would be a quick read. So I walked to the checkout area. I purchased the book. I went home. And frankly, for the next 24, 36 hours, every time I had a free minute, I was reading that book. The book is simple. It's very practical. But there's one chapter of that book that really caught my attention. And that was, as you near the end of the book, there was a chapter entitled, Thou Shalt Begin Again. Thou Shalt Begin Again. And what Ed Young Sr. was describing in that book was a marital relationship. In a marital relationship, it can be very easy in that marriage relationship. It might start with excitement. It might start with wonder. It might start with all sorts sorts of joy and dreams and anticipation and vibrancy. But the fact of the matter is this. In marriage, it can be very easy to get in lulls. It can be very easy to get in patterns and situations where we get distracted, And sometimes those distractions are good things. It's the responsibility of the children. It is the the, the pursuing a career and trying to make a living for your family. It it can be pursuing hobbies and sports and, and dreams and all these different things. But the fact is in a marital relationship, it's easy to get caught up and to get distracted and get in the law. And when you get there, it is so easy to take that other person for granted. Assuming they'll always be there, you don't do the little things that brought health in that relationship. Assuming that it will always be healthy, you you don't do the things that led you to that place of joy and excitement and dreams and expectations and all those wonderful things. 
The fact is it's easy to get into a law. And so the context of the chapter was simply saying in marriage, marriage, you've got to have times where you recognize the distractions that have occurred. You recognize the unhealthy things maybe that have occurred. You recognize the ways you've taken each other for granted. And you've got to get back to the basics. You've got to begin again and again and again. You know, the truth of the matter is this morning is that while that context was given in directly relationship to the marriage relationship, in many ways that is also true in our walk with the Lord. Now, please don't, don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying that when a marriage reaches that place of a lull or a place of unhealthiness, it doesn't mean that the marriage is over. Now, there might be unhealthy things to enter the marriage, but the fact of the matter is it doesn't mean the relationship is ended. And in the same way, I'm not saying this morning that you can lose your relationship with God. However, you can certainly grow cold in your fellowship with God. In fact, I wonder this morning, as we think about this idea of beginning again, in order to begin again, there has to first be a beginning. Many times in our life, we celebrate our quote-unquote beginning. We celebrate the day of our birth, which I would remind you that life begins at conception, but we celebrate the day we were born. It's our beginning. But did you know there's a greater celebration that the Bible declares literally all the, heaven, all the angels of heaven rejoice at the very moment that a person is born again? Maybe you remember that this morning. Maybe you remember a time in your life, it maybe was yesterday, or it might've been a few years ago, or it might've been a few decades ago, but you remember a time in your life where you were listening to the message and you heard the reality that we are all sinners. We are all in need of God's salvation. We've all sinned against God and done things that are wrong, but God in his grace and his mercy, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He rose again from the grave to prove that he's the Lord. And maybe you remember a time that you prayed and you said, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that Jesus is the Lord. I confess Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Maybe you remember that time. Doesn't matter if it was a year ago or several years ago, but you remember that moment and you remember in that moment of being what the Bible calls born again, you remember a change that began to happen in your life. You didn't like the things that you used to like. Many of the things that you used to do, you didn't wanna do anymore. You remember the excitement that you had as, as you would come to a worship service and you would sing songs of praise with joy and celebration and wonder that God would be gracious and merciful to you. Maybe you remember those early days as you began and that being born again, you remember having a hunger for God's word. You may, maybe didn't you, you didn't understand it all. Maybe there are things that you just didn't make sense yet, but you wanted to read and you wanted to understand what God was saying in his word. Maybe you remember that joy of fellowship with God's people when you'd come together in a community group and people would pray with you and you would pray with them. There was a sense of a joy there and a sense of a fellowship there, a sense of relationship that you never experienced before. Maybe you remember that, that idea of, of growing in faith and believing God and trusting his promises and not walking by sight anymore and you begin to grow in those things. Maybe you remember those things. The Bible makes it clear that when we are born again, we are made a brand new creation, which means that God begins to change us. Can I just kind of say time out for just a moment? If you're here this morning and you don't remember ever beginning, if you're here this morning and you don't remember ever being born again, you don't remember a change that God's brought into your life in that way, I wanna say time out, pause for a moment and consider and examine, are you genuinely a follower of Jesus? Fact of the day right now, 2021, Bible Belts America, it can be easy to be close to Christian things. It can be easy to even act like Christians and not know Jesus Christ at all. Billy Graham once assessed that over 70% of the people who attend church every single Sunday were not even saved. 
So I cause you to really examine, are you genuinely saved? Have you been born again? Have you begun, so to speak? If you haven't, today you can. You can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But for all who have, maybe you've been saved long enough to know that being saved doesn't mean you have it all together. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you are perfect. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you never fall and never make a mistake. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you're the picture of perfection. In fact, it certainly doesn't mean that we don't stumble along the way. In fact, many are surprised to find that the Christian life is a series of beginning agains. Being righteous doesn't mean that we never fall, but being righteous does affect how we respond when we fall. Proverbs 24, 16 says it this way. For a righteous man falls seven times. Seven times. Well, guess what else? And rises again. But the wicked stumble in a time of calamity. The word for falls where it says the righteous man falls seven times is a general word that refers to suffering, refers to loss, and refers to failure. By show of hands for just a moment. How many of you have lived life long enough to know that you have experienced some loss along the way? All right, I think that's just about everyone. How many of you by show of hands would say, I've experienced not necessarily some of the suffering that we might see in the sense of physical persecution, but you've experienced some suffering along the way. Anybody ever experienced any failure in your life? I mean, anybody at all, right? Being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, does not make us exempt from falling. But being a follower of Jesus affects what happens and how we respond when we do fall. Sometimes that fall can happen as a moral failure. Maybe it's that we were in a moment of weakness. Maybe it's that we were tempted in our flesh. And maybe in that moment, we, we had a cloud of judgment and we turned to things that we shouldn't have turned to. Maybe it was that in our independence, our, our will, we rejected God and said, God, I'm gonna do my own thing. And we deliberately sinned against God. Or maybe it's that we became complacent. We got distracted from God. We got distracted from the things that were important and we began to pursue other things instead. Either way, those who are righteous don't stay in a defeated, downtrodden, failed disposition. Instead, the righteous look to the Lord, trust in him, and begin again. I love how the psalmist says it in Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Listen to this. When he falls, not if he falls, if he happens to, if he happens to come to that fork in the road, no, when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Please understand this morning, God is looking at us. He's an incredible, gracious God of mercy. His faithfulness is true through all generations as we'll see in just a moment. He gives us this message of encouragement and hope. When we fall, there is grace and there is mercy from him. We can begin again. That's why the Bible tells us in Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 through 23, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We can begin again. This morning, I believe as we study God's word and study the life of this man by the name of Simon Peter, we're gonna see how... Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and for these moments you've given us together right now.
God, I confess today that I have no power or no ability to stand up here on my own. God, there is no word, there is no knowledge from me that can help a single person here or listening online. But your word has the power to save souls and transform lives. So God, I pray today where we have boundaries and walls built up that you would destroy them. I pray where we have facades and masks that you would just strip them away. And God, that today you would speak directly to us and that we would respond in faith and obedience. And I pray it all for your name's sake and your glory, Jesus. Amen. This morning, if we are going to begin again, I believe there's four simple actions that must be true and must be present. They must be a part of our life. And we see them illustrated in the story of Simon Peter. Number one, if we're going to begin again, we need to begin first by acknowledging where we are really at. We must acknowledge where we're really at. This first step is so simple and yet it is so profound because so often we wanna move on to step two and step three and step four and miss the foundation that must be present in our lives. If you were to go to the doctor tomorrow morning because you were going for a checkup, maybe you had a symptom or two along the way, the first thing they would do is they would hand you a whole bunch of papers and they would hand you those papers of questions because they're wanting to assess what's really going on in your life. I told you recently about one of my children and I going to the doctor's office recently and they were going for a sports physical and, and I gave my insurance card and when they handed me the clipboard with the three pages front and back of a million questions, I handed the clipboard to my child and said, you're old enough to answer all the questions, right? And they wanted to know everything. Tell me about your history. Tell me about this. Have you had any shortness of breath? Have you had any dizziness? Have you had any chest pains? Have you had anything? Any, and they were asking everything. Why? Because they're wanting to acknowledge what is really going on in your body. Fact of the matter is, sometimes we men are the worst. We don't want to admit what's going on. We don't want to acknowledge what's going on in our body. I've been a pastor long enough to know that there have been more than a dozen men that I can think of that have had some minor issue. They thought they had some back pain or they had some issue in their stomach and frankly, they, they kind of put it off. I'm a man, I'll tough it out, I'll be okay, I'll be okay. Months pass, months pass, nine months pass, 12 months pass. They finally go to the doctor, why? Because now it's a major issue and oftentimes they find out that the issue is more serious than they could have ever dreamt it to be. The point is, if we're going to get help, if we're going to grow, if we're gonna be where we need to be, we must begin by acknowledging where we're really at. Last week, I told you about breaking down in Stanton, Virginia in our vehicle a few weeks ago after we had eaten at Chick-fil-A. Well, the fact of the matter is, I had a warning about that. Anybody ever been driving down the road and everything is wonderful, life is good and grand, and suddenly you have that ding, 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 the check engine light that comes on in the dash? Anybody ever been there before? I don't know about you, but here's the kind of guy that I am. I, I see that check engine light and I kind of take that as a suggestion sometimes. I'll, I'll take the next exit, turn the car off, crank it up and it'll reset. We'll be all good. I did that a few times a few Fridays ago and that check engine light wasn't going off. I went by the local auto zone. I got a little meter, plugged it in. They gave me a code. I called a mechanic. I said, hey, here's what's going on. He said, well, I'll tell you, there's a few things that could be. As long as you stay around town, you should be fine. I said, that sounds great. I didn't tell him I was going to Stanton later that night. 
And then it was my own fault when seven hours later, I had to call him back to say, I can't drive anywhere. I'm completely broken down. The fact of the matter is we can ignore the signs and we can refuse to acknowledge. We can get busy. We can even excuse it away and think we know what's best. But if we fail to acknowledge where we're really at, at times it can lead to absolute catastrophic failure. In our walk with the Lord, we also have to be willing to acknowledge where we are at. If we're gonna begin again, we have to be honest to recognize where we really are in our relationship with the Lord. And we see this really well in the life of Simon Peter. In fact, as I think about that today, I'm thinking about Peter who, this is the same Simon Peter that Jesus called away from fishing with nets to be a fisher of men. This is the same Simon Peter who was so strong that in another pastor scripture, there's a group of men trying to drag a net of 153 fish and Simon Peter was so strong, he grabbed the net himself and drugged the whole thing to land all by himself. This is a man's man. He's a leader, he's a man, he's an influence. The same Simon Peter that would speak on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls would be saved, that's who Simon Peter is. But as we see in Matthew chapter 26 and really beginning in Luke 22, Simon had a very difficult time acknowledging where he was really at. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter and it shows us that Simon really didn't understand where he truly stood in this moment. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 22. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Listen to Peter's response. But he said to him, Lord, with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. Now think of this for just a moment. Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, Peter, listen, Satan has desired to come against you. He has desired to attack you. He's gonna do everything that he can to cause you to stumble and to cause you to fall. He wants to sift you and separate you like wheat. But I prayed for you. Simon says, I'm good, Jesus. I'm good, I've got this, I'm ready for this, Jesus. In fact, I will go with you even to prison, even if it means death, I've got this. In other words, Peter in this moment was unwilling to recognize the ways of the enemy and the weakness of his own flesh. Please understand this morning, we need to be reminded that Satan is a very real enemy. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that we are to be a sober spirit and to be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We like to paint these images of Satan being this guy in a red costume with a pitchfork and a pointy tail. But please make notice, there is nothing cute or steal, kill, and to destroy. He wants to devour you and your life in every way, shape, and form. Why? Because he wants to rob God of the glory for what he gets through your life. In this moment, Peter's refusing to recognize the truth about what's really going on. I wanna remind us this morning, we often forget that one of the keys to overcome the enemy is found just prior to that statement in 1 Peter 5, verse six, where it says this, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. You can't acknowledge where you're really at without humbling yourself. The good news for us this morning is that Jesus has overcome the devil and today we can walk in victory by Ephesians chapter six, putting on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. But Peter wasn't doing that in that moment. Peter, Satan's coming against you. He wants to destroy you, but I've prayed for you. And what does Peter say? No, I'm good, Jesus, I got this. I'm ready to go. 
In other words, he didn't understand the ways of the enemy and he didn't understand the weakness of his own flesh. He refused to acknowledge it. We see it further in Matthew chapter 26. Listen to the words of scripture. Jesus warned the disciples that his time to, come, time to die had come. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Listen to this statement. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Please understand this morning, if you and I are gonna begin again, we have to begin first with the, the, the humble, honest inventory, so to speak, the examination of our life to acknowledge where we're really at. Simon Peter was so sure of himself, so confident in his ability, so confident in his commitment that he said, Jesus, I will never fall away. I will never fail you, even if it costs me my life. Jesus, I'm here. I'm gonna stand with you. It's amazing to note that literally within hours of Jesus making this statement, Jesus would take the disciples and then take Peter, James, and John a little further into the Garden of Gethsemane. He would call for them to wait with him and pray. Peter was so certain he would stand with Jesus regardless of the cost, he couldn't even stay awake and pray for an hour as Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter in that moment was so certain that he could stand watch for an hour when the fact of the matter is in the hour of trial, he would quickly fall and fail the Lord. So it is with us. Many today are not growing because we simply refuse to acknowledge and take the time to identify where we're really at. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that the reason why so many go to church, go to church, go to church, and do not have, truly have a relationship with Jesus, frankly, is because they're unwilling to honestly acknowledge where they're really at. They're content to live with a Christianity religion without a relationship with Jesus. That is the reason why so many live their life without peace and without the hope and the joy of knowing Christ is because they refuse to acknowledge where they're really at. The reason why so many keep turning to habits and addictions and patterns and they get no victory is because they refuse to humble themselves and acknowledge where they're really at. Our own Pastor Michael says it this way. Inventory leads to inspection. Inspection leads to insight. Insight leads to inspiration. Inspiration leads to intentionality, and intentionality leads to impact. We, we all want the impact. We wanna know that God is working in us. We want God to work through us. We want our lives to matter, but please understand, in order to get to that place of impact, there has to be that first place of in investigation, that idea of literally looking and inspecting our life and acknowledging where we're really at. So let me ask you, where are you really at? Have you believed in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior or are you just going through the motions? And if you believed in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I want you to think back for a moment to where you were at the beginning of 2020. I know that seems like it was 10 years ago. When I, when I saw that first picture of the Beast Feast back in January, that felt like a decade ago to me. Think back to where you were at the beginning of 2020 to where you are today. Let me ask you this question. How, are you growing in faith or are you living by fear? Are you praying with boldness, believing God to do great things? Or are you, are you praying like you're flicking a penny into the wishing well? 
are you hungry and thirsty for the word of God? Or has God's word only become the crutch you lean on on Sunday morning? Are you growing and sharing the gospel with the lost because man's greatest need is not a vaccine but salvation of their soul? Are we content to be silent, telling no one the truth? Are we growing and serving God, using our gifts for the glory of God to invest in him and for our lives to matter in eternity? Are we focused on our comforts and conveniences? Are we growing in our conviction about God and living a life of holiness? Are we living a life of compromise? Where are we at? Where are you at? If we're gonna experience this idea, this context of God's promise that we can begin again, we have to acknowledge where we're at. But it leads to a second point. That first should lead us then to the second, and that is this. We've gotta acknowledge where we're at and be honest about it. Our cover-up, our deception, our just continue going through the motions, it's accomplishing nothing but potentially deceiving yourself. Once you acknowledge where you're at, second, admit your sin and failures. Simple. Acknowledge where you're at and then admit your sin and your failures. I, I often illustrate it. You've heard this illustration probably too many times, but I'm gonna use it again because it's totally true. When we have experienced a distance in our relationship with God, when we, are, when we are cold in our relationship with God, I wanna remind us it's not God's fault. It's like the old illustration, the, the, the older couple, they pull up at the traffic like they're sitting there looking at the red light and the man's in the driver's seat and the older lady's in the passenger seat and she's over here kind of pressed up against the window and as she looks out her window, all of a sudden another vehicle pulls up and it's a young couple. And, and it's obvious this young couple is in love. They are excited. They are affectionate. They are sitting so close to each other. It looks like one person in the car. And the old lady looks, and as she looks in amazement and wonder, she looks at the young lady. The young lady turns her head towards that young man, and they embrace with a genuine, sincere, affectionate kiss. And that old lady looks in amazement, but then she begins to realize, we don't do that anymore. And she begins to look over at that seat and she looks over her husband and she says, honey, I sure wish you kissed me like that still. I sure wish you did that with me still. The wise old man sitting in the same old place, I ain't the one who moved. You know, so often we come to worship and we're like, man, this worship is not exciting anymore. We're praying and we're like, well, God, where are you? I don't see you answering anymore. We're reading God's word, but we're not getting anything. Else. And we're like, God, where are you? And God's looking at us saying, I'm right here where I've always been. I'm not the one who moved. The fact of the matter is, if we're gonna begin again, we've gotta acknowledge where we're really at and we must admit our sin and failures. Please understand, many of us, instead of admitting our sin and failures and truly repenting, we are content to be like Adam. Adam sins against God, what does he do? He, he, he begins to excuse his sin by blaming others. Adam, did you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? God already knew the answer to the question. What does Adam say? God, it was that woman it was that woman. He didn't just say that. He says, it was the woman you gave me. In other words, it looks like he's blaming Eve for his own sin, when in reality, he's blaming God. God, if you hadn't made her, I was doing fine by myself. I was doing everything I needed. If you hadn't given her to me, I wouldn't have sinned against you. What a moron, right? Some lady back there, that's a man for you, I tell you what, right there. He, he's excusing it, blaming it, putting it off on God. Or maybe we're like David, right? 
I mean, David commits adultery. David has, has Bathsheba's husband killed on the front line of battle. And then he has the audacity to cover it up. David commits adultery. David commits murder. And then he takes out his napkin, wipes his mouth, washes his hands and says, nothing to see here, nothing to see. I've done nothing wrong. He covers it. He acts like he's done absolutely nothing wrong. And he thinks that by doing that, he's gonna be fine. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 18, he that covers his sins will not prosper, but he that confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You can cover it up all you want to, but you're not covering up from God. In fact, the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 32, be sure your sin will find you out. It will come out. Galatians 6, 7 says it this way. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And yet we go on hiding it and covering it, thinking that we can prove God to be a liar. I don't want to know. God is no liar. There will be one fool in that situation. It ain't God. It's you and it's me when we try to cover up our sin. Peter struggled to acknowledge his own weakness and where he really stood. And he failed miserably. But I will tell you, when he failed, he did respond appropriately. Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75, the Bible tells us, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and the servant girl came to him and said, you too are with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he'd gone out of the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath and said, I do not know him. Now he said, I promise I don't know this man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you two are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you what you talk just like him. Listen to this. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Think of that picture for a moment. Talk about a failure. Peter literally, he not only denied knowing Jesus, but to prove he didn't know Jesus, he cursed and he swore and he began to act completely opposite of the way that God had called him to act. He blew it. But guess what happened when he blew it? Next statement. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is a picture of a man who was grieved this is a picture of a man who's under conviction. He's not excusing his sin. He's not blaming it on anybody else. He's not passing the buck and going on like nothing really ever happened. No, here's a man under conviction. The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. Here's a man who is absolutely distraught. He knows he has failed. He knows he's blown it. He knows he has fallen short. Please understand, this is an appropriate response when we sin against God. We should be broken over our sin. Not calloused or passive or compromising or blaming or excusing. We should be broken over our sin. Some would say, Pastor, what the Bible never tells us that Peter admitted his sin per se. And that's true, the Bible never specifically says it, but I think we'll see in just a moment that the evidence is there that he did. I wanna remind you this morning that when the Bible tells that Peter wept bitterly, this is more than just remorse. Many of us feel remorse when we do something wrong, like a child that's found getting their hand in the cookie jar. We can all have remorse. If I'm driving down the road and I see those blue lights behind me and I know that I'm guilty, guess what? I got remorse pretty quick. 
I don't want that fine. But remorse does not necessarily mean repentance. Because repentance means a turning from and a change that takes place. In other words, you can have remorse without repentance, but you cannot have repentance without remorse. Second Corinthians chapter seven says it this way. I now rejoice now that not, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, to a point of change, to a point of turning, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. In other words, your sorrow doesn't accomplish anything unless it leads to change. Well, I'm so sorry. I bet you are. But are you repentant? That's the question. First John chapter one, verses eight and nine gives us a wonderful promise that when you and I repent of our sins, we can experience the joy of God's forgiveness. Here's what it says. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, the idea here is that we're admitting our sin is against God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we're gonna begin again, we've got to acknowledge where we're really at. We've got to admit our sin honestly before God. Third, we must accept God's grace. We must accept God's grace. Here is one of the most profound and yet simple truths of the entire Bible, and that is this. God offers grace and mercy to all who will come to him by faith. God is so full of grace and mercy towards us. One of, the, one of my favorite pictures of the entire Bible, specifically the Old Testament, one of my favorite pictures of how gracious and merciful God is, is in Jeremiah chapter 18. Maybe you remember the story of the prophet Jeremiah. God gives him several kind of sermons, if you will, visual illustrations to teach Jeremiah truths about himself. In Jeremiah chapter 18, God says, hey, Jeremiah, get up and go down to the potter's house. I realize today we probably don't know too many potters per se, but the potter would be the person that would sit there at the spinning wheel and they've got a lump of clay in their hand and they're, they're taking a little water and they begin to mold and shape that vessel to be what they want it to be. And the Bible says, God speaks to Jeremiah, says, Jeremiah, get up and go down to the potter's house. You get the image here that, I, that Jeremiah is looking through the window as he's watching the potter who's making a vessel there at the spinning wheel. Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah 18 verse four. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. Now you get the image here that Jeremiah's watching the potter. He's sitting at the wheel. The thing is moving and he's molding this vessel. He's molding it to be what he wants it to be. And suddenly a flaw becomes evident. And this flaw is fatal. So much so that the entire vessel becomes spoiled. It's like a wasted lump of hopeless, worthless clay in the potter's hand. Now, now I don't know about you, but in that moment I'm thinking... If I'm the potter and I see a major fatal flaw in this vessel, here's what I do. I lump it up, I throw it away, and I begin anew on a different vessel. A totally different piece of clay, a totally different opportunity. But notice what he says in Jeremiah 18 verse four. The vessel was made of clay, was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. In other words, 
God is the gracious, patient, faithful potter. Even though we have flaws, even though we have failed, even though our lives apart from him are ruined, he doesn't throw us away. He doesn't reject us. He doesn't discard us. Here's what he does. He continues to mold us. He continues to shape us. He continues to work in us. He continues to work on us so that he might work through us to be the vessel he wants us to be. It's a powerful picture of the mercy and grace of God. Interestingly enough, we see that as well in the life of Simon Peter. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32. Remember, we heard that pastor a moment ago about Jesus saying, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. I have a confession to make, and that is that I left out a part of that verse on purpose. But I want to share it with you now because I want you to hear it in its context. Listen to the grace and mercy of God in this statement. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And listen to this. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, now time out. Please don't miss this. It's like Jesus is saying to him, Peter, Satan's coming against you. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to fall. He wants you to be a waste. He wants your life to be pointless. He wants you to be that vessel that's discarded and done away with. But God's not done with you, Peter. There's still a plan for you. There's grace and there's mercy. And when you turn back again, there's still God's purpose to be accomplished in your life. You may be here today and feel like you are a waste, that you have failed so miserably that God can never do anything. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you repent and turn to Jesus, you can begin again and God still has a plan and a purpose for you. God didn't throw the clay away in Peter's life and he won't do it in yours either. We see this very clearly as Peter weeps before God when he hears that rooster crow, he knows he has failed miserably. He goes out from that place and he weeps and grieves before God. I personally believe in this time, it's a time of confession. It's a time of repentance. And where do we see him next? We see him there once again with the disciples in the upper room praying. Why? I believe because he has confessed his sin. He's repented of his sin. And what's he doing? He's now returned and he's doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. When you've turned again, strengthen your brethren. That's exactly what Peter's doing. He goes back to the disciples. Now picture the scene, fast forward a little bit. While all this is happening, Jesus is crucified, beaten with a cat of nine tails, beard plucked out the whole scene. He dies on the cross for the sins of the world. They take his body off of the cross. They put him into a borrowed tomb. He's there in that tomb three days. And on the third day, that first day of the week, Jesus rose again from the grave. The Bible tells us that those ladies, they, they ran to the tomb that morning in Mark chapter 16, verses five through seven. I love this statement. Listen to the statement as it unfolds. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. This is an angel. And he said to them, don't be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Picture the scene. The angel says, listen, ladies, Jesus, I know you're searching for Jesus. He was crucified. Yes, that, that, the same Jesus. He was put in this tomb. And he, just like he said, he rose again from the grave. But listen to this next statement. But go... Tell his disciples, by the way, Peter is a disciple, right? Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. Please understand that the angel did not have to use Peter's name. 
Peter was already included in the statement about the disciples. Go tell his disciples that he's risen again from the grave. He's gonna see them in Galilee just like he said, but that's not what the angel said. Go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus has a word for them. Why in the world would the angel say that? I believe the reason why is this. Can you think of anybody who felt more undeserving and more unworthy of the grace and mercy of God in that moment than Simon Peter? The last time he made eye contact with Jesus, he was denying him, cursing and swearing. He didn't even know the man. And now the message from the angel is, hey, don't you forget Peter. God has a plan for him. God has a purpose for him. God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy. Peter might have blown it. He might have messed up. He might feel like a failure, but God's not done with him yet. We must accept God's grace. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 20 tells us as the scene unfolds. Just like Jesus promised, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. This is the disciples' midst. Let me ask you a question. What would you say to a group of friends who had abandoned you in your greatest point of need? What do you say to someone that you had loved so greatly and given so much for if they completely reject you and curse to deny that they ever even knew you in the first place? Can I just be honest? It's in these moments that, that I'm looking and I'm reminded of how flawed I am in my flesh. Because if I were Jesus in that moment, <laughs> it, it would not be good. It would not be good. I, I mean, I would be giving them a piece of my mind. I would let them have it. I would remind them of all the things they did wrong. I'd remind them of how unworthy they were. I, would, I mean, I'm just telling, that's probably how my flesh would work. But I want you to hear what Jesus says to the group that had abandoned him, to the one who had denied him to the one who had failed. The Bible says in that passage of scripture, the rest of the text, Jesus came and appeared in their midst and he said to them four words, peace be with you. When he showed this, when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Who can honestly fathom such grace and mercy. When Peter was worthy of consequences, dismissal, rejection, and judgment, instead he received grace, mercy, and peace. In fact, did you know not one time in all of the Bible do we see God ever bring up any reference to Peter's failure? Not one time do we see Jesus in his interactions with Peter ever one time bring up, hey, Peter, remember when you denied me? Peter, you remember when you cursed my name? Peter, you know when you blew it miserably? Peter, you remember that moment? Not one time did Jesus bring it up. Why? Because Jesus knew he had already been broken in his repentance. He had already turned from his sin and experienced the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. If we're going to begin again, we've got to acknowledge where we're at. We must admit our sin and our failures. We must accept God's grace. And finally, we, can, we must affirm our devotion to the Lord and his will. 
Friend, I want to remind you this morning that the same God who forgave Simon Peter and had a plan and a purpose for him can forgive you, and he has a plan and a purpose for you. Jesus, of course, appeared to those disciples in that moment. We know of another journey that he had as he went on a long walk with a few brothers. We know of a time where Jesus appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. It's amazing. Between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to heaven to prepare a place for all today who will believe, Jesus had one bit of personal unfinished business. It was a message for none other than Simon Peter. It's recorded in Luke, I'm sorry, it's recorded in John chapter 21. I want you to hear this encounter as Jesus then goes to Simon Peter. Remember, the same Simon Peter who said, Jesus, I got this, later to fail miserably. The same Peter who failed miserably, who wept bitterly and he grieves. I think he's getting right with God. He returns to his brothers. The same Simon Peter that heard that message, peace be still, Jesus has one other message for him. It's found in John 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said again, tend my sheep. That may sound like a very simple encounter to us today, but please make no mistake about it. Jesus was showing Simon Peter that in spite of his past, in spite of his failures, in spite of where he really was and had been, God so had a plan and a purpose for him. He called for Peter to affirm his love for him. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, do you know I love you? Peter, do you love me? Lord, do you know all things? You know that I love you. What's he doing? He's affirming his devotion. He's affirming his faith. He's affirming his love for Jesus. And three times, in different variations, Jesus points back and says, then feed my sheep. Peter, show your love and devotion to me by giving yourself for my sheep. John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, Jesus continued and said, truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Listen to this. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Simon Peter, follow me. It's like he's saying, Peter, if you really love me, follow me, no matter the cost. You know, God offered Simon Peter an amazing opportunity to begin again. And when Simon Peter was humble before God, he experienced God's grace and God's mercy in a profound way. And then right before Jesus would ascend to heaven, 
he would hear that personal message again. Peter, follow me. You know, I'm convinced today that the same God that showed grace and mercy to Simon Peter can show grace and mercy to us. The same God that called Simon Peter to follow him is still calling us today. Follow me. The same God that was willing to begin a new and a fresh in Simon Peter's life is willing to do a new and fresh work in our own life. My simple question for us is simply this. Are we willing to acknowledge where we're really at? I can't do that for you. I can give you examples. I can tell you stories. I can share God's word. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. But the fact of the matter is, I can't do that for you. Are we willing to admit our sin and our failures? I can't do that for you. I can and do pray fervently for you that God will work and that God will move and that God will reveal himself and that God will draw you to himself, that God will convict you when there's sin, that God will show you where there's compromise. But I can't do that for you. Nobody else can. I can't even do that for my own children. I can't accept God's grace for you. Only you can do that. Not by your power, not by your strength, but by humbling yourself and calling out to the one who's promised to forgive and cleanse if you simply confess and turn to him. I can't affirm love and devotion to God for you. My hope and prayer today is this. There are some of us here today that frankly have been going through the motions who need to begin today. You begin by putting your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and experiencing what the Bible calls being born again, a brand new life in Christ. There are also many of us here today, we've already begun. We've gotten distracted along the way focus, our vision, our priorities, our pursuit. It's all over the place. And God's calling us back to begin again. What is God calling you to do today? Can we pray together? Just bow our heads, just a spirit of prayer. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you that you offer us forgiveness. You offer to cleanse us. You offer us to set us free. You promise to make us a new creation. God, there are many here today that can testify that because we've experienced that in our life. But God, there's some here today that haven't experienced that. So God, I pray today for those that don't know Christ as their Savior, that today would be their day of salvation. And Father, for those who are saved, but maybe they've been straying, they've grown cold in their relationship with you. Maybe they're angry at you for something. Maybe you didn't do something they were expecting or wanting. Maybe they've compromised and given into other things that they knew weren't weren't right, but they did anyway. But God, I pray today will be a day that they repent and come back to you and begin again, anew and afresh. I pray in Jesus' name, have your way. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon.
God bless you.